we should be submitted to his way. That's what that song means. Whatever you allow into my life, Lord, um, I'm willing to accept it. You, you take my life and you do what you want with it. Have thine own way, Lord. But folks, that way is a way filled with goodness and blessing and hope and comfort. And we're going to see that today in this passage in Isaiah. Again, we're skipping around Isaiah. Um, uh, Isaiah and some of the other major prophets, as they're called, are more known for many times for their declarations of judgment and sternness. And those are important. God's people must hear those things. The world must understand the judgment that they're facing. And Isaiah has had a lot to say about the judgment of that God will bring upon the world and the judgment that God will bring upon his people. But as we get back to Isaiah, uh, or we go to Isaiah chapter 40, we see there is wonderful, beautiful words of encouragement and comfort for God's people as well. And really, this, I think, could be described as one of the great passages of comfort and consolation for God's people in Scripture, in the Old Testament. Now, there are many, so, you know, if you have a favorite besides this, that's fine. But I think we, we tend to think of this many times, and that's important. And in immediate context with this, Isaiah is calling to Israel, is describing to Israel the message that he has received from the Lord. And we're going to see three proclamations this morning of good news, and God's people need that good news because Isaiah and later Jeremiah will describe that they will face terrible judgment. And we know from God's word and from the history of uh, the Jewish people that they, the Babylon would come, uh, the Assyrians would come and take out the northern kingdom entirely, spread them all over the world. The Babylonians would come and take Judah into exile. And in the immediate context, then Isaiah is saying, uh, even as I've prophesied that you will go into exile, that God will deal with your idol worship and the sins of his people, he will bring you back. He will provide comfort after correction. And uh, they will have relief from their exile, which is described in verse 2 as the warfare resulting from the opposition from Babylon. It will one day be over, and this is describing it being over. The Lord will bring them back to Jerusalem. But there's also a broader prophetic context in these verses, one that would fit well with our study in Revelation. That is that God will be their comfort and consolation during the great tribulation, the great time of judgment, the great day of the Lord that God will be there to speak tenderly to his people. And we've seen that in Isaiah, in the studies that we've done in passages in chapters 25 and 26. God, the people, God's people gathered together and his followers from all over the world gathered together ready to enter into the kingdom after that terrible time of judgment. And this is another picture, even as we saw that God will wipe away the tears he will give his people much comfort in their, and for the sorrow that they have experienced. Their consolation after the end times tribulation. Well, we've talked about what's happened in the past and what will happen in the future. 
there's also application for God's people today, folks. And as we go through this passage, it's a reminder to us that in the present, God also has comfort. That he's glorious, his word is eternal, and his care and protection are everlasting. And we need those reminders because we get discouraged. We struggle. We have things that come into our lives that we weren't expecting or, or difficult trials or all these things. And we are tempted to let that discouragement and despair reign rather than continue to trust faithfully in our sovereign God, in our Savior, Jesus Christ. That is the temptation. And this is a reminder that when we seek God in the midst of whatever we're facing, that great comfort and care will come. It's promised. And this is the promise. So we have three proclamations of good news. And let's just read the first two verses and we'll pray together. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Father, thank you that we have this passage, and of course many more. We heard read from Psalm 16, the comfort and strength that we have in finding our refuge in you. God's people are blessed regardless of their circumstances because you promised to take care of them. Even through death itself, you bring new life. So help us to remember today, be reminded and encouraged as we go through this passage, that you are all that we need, and you will take care of your own, and lead, and guide. So help us to understand and remember these important truths this morning as we look at this passage, for it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, three proclamations of good news, and the first is that God's presence is with his, with his people will provide the comfort that we need. And God will give comfort during his children's hardship. You know, as parents, we try by God's grace to do the best that we can in our parenting, and yet we're, we're, not, our, we're not the gentle good shepherd, and we struggle at times, and we have times that we fail and we make mistakes. And we're, many times we can be sterner than maybe we intended to be or sometimes that, that we intended to be. Stern and maybe angry. And even in our correction and the punishment and discipline, um, we can struggle to balance that with love. And God works in us. Now, I'm, I'm thinking specifically more of those that have children right now. Uh, that are that we're still raising up, right? Now we all have children, but I imagine some of you aren't uh, correcting and disciplining on a regular basis. Some of us still are. But the wonderful thing about God's discipline and His correction is He has the wonderful balance of the need for chastisement, but also the need for patience and comfort. He does that in a way that no one else can, and He is the ultimate example. And He gives comfort and care as he gives correction when his people need it and this comfort verse one comfort comfort my people says your god 
And that comfort is going to come from three proclamations that we'll see this morning through verses 1 through 11. Three different groups or people, there'll be three different proclaimers or heralds of this comforting news. This comfort that is described here in the Hebrew is a word that describes relief from great sorrow and distress. It is, it is a deep sense of encouragement. It's like taking a deep breath. If you've ever been in a panic, somebody surprised you with some news, or you found out about something, or, or that you did something that you didn't mean to, but you've done something that's wrong. You, there's a hundred things that could put us into a panic sometimes, but you've probably experienced that. Didn't realize that, surprised by that, panic, what are we going to do? And then there's that sense where you realize, hopefully, well, let's, let's take a deep breath, the people around you, let's take a deep breath, trust the Lord, and in that deep breath comes a sense of steadiness and confidence. Really, that's the encouragement that's described here, that it is that sense of confidence and steadiness in the midst of very difficult circumstances. And God says, my people need this kind of comfort. He speaks gently to us, folks. He calls to us in the midst of trials and great tribulation. He reminds us of his presence in the midst of great difficulty. I'm sure we've all experienced times where we've struggled and where we've been concerned about things. And we pray in that sense of God's presence and his peace just sometimes almost overwhelms us. That's his comfort. That's his encouragement. And he says he will provide it for us. Furthermore, in verse 2, he gives more description of this. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. And ultimately, that would be, uh, well, in context again, it would be the people that have returned from the exile. They've rebuilt Jerusalem. And um, they're still struggling through what they've experienced. And God says, speak very gently, very careful. If you've ever had a child that has hurt themselves and um, has a, a deep hurt or needs to go to the hospital, you speak tenderly to them. You're careful with them. And that's what God, that's how he speaks with us. He says, and cry to her. Make sure she hears this message. Her warfare is ended. And again, that has reference to the warfare that God has used against his people in a corrective measure would have been the Babylonians as they took the people away from their homeland into exile. And now God says that at some point that will be ended. It ended up being about 70 years. The people would return and the time of chastisement is over and God speaks tenderly. That's something that we have to do as parents. After correction comes, we have to make sure that the tenderness and the carefulness then comes in so that our children realize that we, we needed to have this time of discipline, but we love them and we care about them. And that's what God's describing here. Her iniquity is pardoned. What a beautiful, wonderful phrase that is. And that would have described that she, in, in this context, initially, she had um, suffered exile for her sins and now she was returning but i think you understand there's a deeper sense here folks because the people even though they'd gone through god's correction they could not atone for their sins they could not 
um, go through or, or, or do enough penance to receive um, pardon for their iniquity. They couldn't do this on their own. We saw that in Isaiah last week, that it was God's work. It wasn't the work of the people. And yet, he describes here the sins that they and we today are liable for are now paid. He's speaking to the remnant that has returned, but ultimately there would have to come one that could truly accomplish our pardoning of our iniquity and our sin, and that was Jesus Christ. And this points to the gospel, folks. The gospel that Jesus came and died for his people and died for the the sins of the world and would um, accomplish the necessary requirements for atonement to be made so that we could be pardoned through faith in Christ. What greater comfort could there be than the gospel message, right? (laughs) That is our greatest comfort. And Isaiah points us to that. And even today, whatever you face, folks, it cannot triumph, it cannot surpass the message of the gospel that we have new life in Christ, that our sins are forgiven, that we have a home in heaven for all eternity, that Jesus will lead us through the trials and the difficulties as we'll continue to see, through the wilderness, and will bring us where he wants us to be That gospel hope triumphs over every despair and discouragement that we have if you reflect and take it to heart. And we need to remember that. A favorite author of mine, has written many books, Paul Tripp, said, It really is true. In a fallen world, you can expect trouble. But rest assured, your loving Savior has overcome all that would trouble you. He's overcome it all. And he offers pardon for our sins, for our iniquity. Says that she, continue then in that verse, Isaiah 40 verse 2, the end of that, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. She had gone through a great time of exile. Jesus Christ would one day go through even more and take on all of our sins, even though he didn't deserve that. And again, full Um, pardon for iniquity for those that would trust in him god gives gospel comfort during his children's hardships but then as we see this first proclamation here we see that god will reveal his glory for his children's encouragement and now the comfort comes through this revelation of god and who he is as we saw in sunday school this morning our ultimate comfort and encouragement understanding and motivation for living the christian life is understanding more about god and so isaiah is going to give us that understanding now as it is given to him god has called on these proclaimers to comfort his people with these words and this first proclaimer then is in verse three now this could very well be Um, God calling out to Isaiah, giving him this message um, to proclaim to the people. But I think in context here with this picture that it's more like uh, our scene in Revelation where John is supposed to record and the angels are crying out these things. And I think personally, my interpretation is this is some sort of angel that is crying out a message that Isaiah is supposed to write down and give to the people. He's proclaiming this message. And Isaiah 
is writing it down so that we can know what that is. So a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low and the uneven ground shall become level and the rough places plain. This first herald proclaimer voice cries out to God's people that they must be prepared for the coming of the glory of the Lord in their midst. Um, this was a common thing in Middle Eastern times, especially in Bible times, is that when a dignitary or ruler was known to come into town, you remember, even with Christ and how he entered into Jerusalem and how the people prepared the way for him, in essence, palm branches and laying down coats and, and different things, that the way that the, um, the, the road would be prepared for this dignitary to pass over smoothly into the city that he was coming into. This was a common thing. And so this voice is telling the people their need to prepare the way of the Lord because his presence is about to be with them. God's, if you'll remember at this time in Old Testament history, uh, God's presence and glory would soon leave after the people were exiled. We have described in, in, in Ezekiel, God's glory leaving his people, leaving the temple, and departing. And then, eventually, when the people returned from exile, many years later, they rebuilt the temple, and the glory of the Lord returned. So that would certainly fit this context as they prepared, again, the temple through God's directing, through Nehemiah, Nehemiah built the walls, but also Ezra and others. Um, they built the temple and God's glory filled the temple again. But even more so, uh, another, uh, a, uh, another fulfillment of this that we think of many times in the New Testament is John the Baptist, right? In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. And God used John the Baptist that would prepare the people through their repentance and baptism for the coming of the glory of the incarnation, the Messiah. And John would be used to prepare that way and fulfill this verse as well. There's a final fulfillment as well in the ushering in of God's kingdom. And this is the most profound because ultimately, folks, are we able to prepare the way to prepare our own hearts fully for the coming of God? We're not able to do that. That's God's work in us. And ultimately, this describes this herald saying, you must prepare the way, but God will do it. God will prepare the way. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. The final fulfillment will be the ushering in of God's kingdom when he prepares the way in the hearts of the people. Remember, throughout the whole world, his own people and the hearts of other people to be ready for his coming and his eternal kingdom after that tribulation judgment and because of the work of Jesus Christ in their hearts. The necessity to spiritually prepare the way for God is proclaimed, and yet he provides the way to prepare that for us. He prepares our hearts, folks, and we will see his glory. You know, again, how does that apply to us today? I've given some, 
uh, examples in the past and an example in the future of a, of a uh, fulfillment of this, but how do we gain um, help and application from this? Where do we view the glory of God today? In his word. He's given us his word. And it says the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Where do we go to hear the mouth of the Lord spoken? It's through his word, folks. We see the glory of God in his word that he has spoken to us. The word of God that is in scripture. And isn't it true that through the power of the Holy Spirit, he can smooth out the rough places in our lives right now. So that his glory can be seen through our lives. He will make our ways more smooth and he will round off the rough edges and he will do the spiritual work to help us to be a wonderful testimony for him. Leslie was telling me a story yesterday and one of the ladies that she got to clean with had a remarkable testimony. That might be some of you have heard this before, I don't know. Um, uh, but since I didn't talk with her, I don't remember the lady's name right now, but she talked about how before she had gotten saved, she was telling Leslie this story, that she was, I guess, in the late 60s, early 70s, and in California, and she was one of those group that called themselves hippies, and you'd probably know all the um, enough of what that meant at that time. Um, following their own desires for peace and, and um, for contentment and involved, involved many times drugs and alcohol. But there was a lot of searching for, for contentment and for a peace that they couldn't find. And you probably know a lot of the baggage associated with that. Well, when she and her friend were in California following after this group and having a good time, they met two men. Um, that young men that were also a part of, of this group, and they got to know them a little bit. But um, one of these men in particular lived uh, in Massachusetts, in Lowell, Massachusetts. Eventually went back. They, didn't, they, they just met up, and they were enjoying uh, fellowship, whatever, together, enjoying a good time. But then the men went back all the way to the East Coast. Um, many years later, one of these men contacted this lady's friend and told her that, they had received Christ, or this, this, that his friend had received Christ, and they were a part of a church ministry and invited this lady's friend. I guess they were in the area or something, or they made the point, I guess, to be in the area. Yeah, that's right. Um, and so her friend went to church and saw her need for Christ and trusted Christ. Well, um, one of these men also in the midst of this was moved. The Lord moved him to become a pastor. Um, he is a current pastor in Lowell, Massachusetts today. And he was one of the friends that this lady met. Eventually, this lady was interested enough to come to church herself. And she heard the gospel message. Um, and she trusted Christ. Um, and now she has served in that church for many years and was able to talk with Leslie and give her her testimony. What a background and what an amazing work that God made in the lives of these individuals making the rough places plain and now this man is serving the Lord for decades as a pastor and this lady is serving in a ministry not too far away from us helping out at the wilds and God does these things and does a marvelous work in our lives and it is a great hope and encouragement to us in that the glory of the Lord is revealed through the work of God.
The mouth of the Lord has spoken through his word, through the gospel. Well, let's continue on with more encouragement. That's a good start. But God's word to his people, another proclamation of good news, encouraging, comforting news, God's word to his people will provide stability. But God has to remind us, first of all, that we as mankind, as people, as humanity, we have a limited lifespan. Verse 6, a voice says, cry. Now another voice calls to Isaiah to be the proclaimer of good news. Now Isaiah is supposed to be the herald, and the voice says, you cry out. And Isaiah says, well, what am I supposed to say? What's the message that I cry out? And the, I think it's an angel here says, here's the message. All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades. When the breath of the Lord blows on it, surely the people are, gra are grass. The prophet is called to be a herald of good news, but that doesn't sound like very good news. That sounds pretty discouraging, actually. Your breath is like a fleeting moment, like a wisp. Well, there's not much encouragement in that. Well, the point is, is God needs us to remember that our earthly life is fleeting. It's a vapor. And in contrast to that, there is something else that stands eternally. But yet notice that as he's describing mankind, that he describes the beauty of mankind. And um, that I think this, this does reflect the fact that man, even in Genesis we see this, man is the apex, the peak of God's earthly creation. He was the one that was chosen to be the manager of the earth. Folks, it, it's, even our society gets us so backward today with mankind and humanity as seeing us as the problem and the earth would be a whole lot better if we weren't around. No, that's not actually. It's 180 degrees different from what God said. He said, you are the ones, you're the, you're the apex of my creation and you are to manage all of it. Need to keep that perspective in mind um, in the midst of certain political opinions that are spouted many times, right? We're supposed to take care of the earth, but we're not second rate in God's creation. But even though that's the case in the beauty that God has demonstrated in mankind, mankind is made in his image, is he not? There's wonderful beauty in our creation and in each of us. But it is transient. It's fleeting. We pulled up this morning. The sun was shining and all those beautiful yellow dandelions, right? Gorgeous. I know they're just a weed, but they're pretty. And if a dandelion can be that pretty, how about the purple wildflowers and all these things? If spring is wonderful to be able to experience um, these beautiful flowers, the reality of their beauty is something that encourages all of us. But they're not going to last for very long. They're going to dry up. And then there's going to be a lot of insects and things. There probably already are. They're very fleeting, those flowers, as beautiful as they are. I had another picture uh, as those wildflowers quickly fading and, and drying up. And it describes here in verse 7 again, the breath of the Lord blows on it. Um, at our church in Maryland, we had a Christmas Eve service every Christmas Eve and um, at the end, we would get around in a circle around the whole auditorium, and there was that nervous moment for every parent when they would decide whether or not to hand their small child one of those candles because they knew that the candles, everybody was holding a candle, would be lit, 
and then you'd hold your candle up, we'd sing Silent Night or something like that, and it really was a, a blessing. But there's always that nervousness of what's my small child going to do with that candle and that flame and that wax that's so in, you know inviting? What's he going to do on the floor? So there was that nervousness. So as soon as that time was over, the parents would quickly you know blow it out, or the child would get there beforehand. But again, that beautiful flame that um, is providing light can be blown out in just a second, right? That's a picture. Mankind, literally, God can blow out our lives in a millisecond. That's how fleeting and how weak we are. Well, again, how is that supposed to provide us encouragement? Well, he gives us the contrast in verse 8. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. In contrast to the fleetingness of our earthly lives, the word of God will stand unmoved and stable, folks, throughout all eternity. So isn't it foolish to depend upon our own strength? Isn't it foolish for us to be self-reliant? We like to talk about that still. Not as much maybe in our country, in America today, but there are still folks that like to talk about that. And we understand the need to work and to work hard and things like that and to provide for our families and, and all of that. But we do tend to be more self-reliant and depend upon ourselves. And Isaiah is reminded here that's futile, that's foolish. We depend and we stand not on our own abilities. We're fleeting, but on God's eternal word and what he has given and proclaimed to us. We have stability, folks, when we're standing on God's word because it stands forever. And that's our hope. That's our comfort. Is God's presence with us, first of all? His word with us? And then finally, his protection and his shepherding care because God's power amongst his people will provide protection. And we're reminded then, the final herald then, proclaimer, here is God's people. God himself or another angel tells God's people to go up, verse 9, on the high, onto a high mountain. O Zion, herald of good news, lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news, lift it up. Fear not. Now, if he's talking directly to the people there in Jerusalem, the people of God and the kingdom, he is calling on them. Notice he uses the word herald of good news. The third proclaimer here is God's people called to proclaim a message. They have been comforted. They have God's presence with them. They have God's word with them. That's the same that we have today, folks, as God's people. And so we should be able to then boldly proclaim to the world that needs it, this message, and we say, Behold your God. As God's people, we point people to Him. We have His presence. We have His Word. There's no excuses. We proclaim, we point people to God. We point people to their Savior, Jesus Christ, from wherever God has called us and wherever we serve. Because God is able to conquer his opponents. And this is a call to the people of the world to acknowledge, to not rebel against the all-powerful God of the universe, the all-powerful one, because he'll subdue all might. And he has power over all nations and rulers. So don't fight him. 
Don't rebel against him, but submit to him. If you fight him, you'll rue that day. You'll, um, you'll regret it. Because verse two, when he, or verse 10, when he comes, behold, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. I think this again is a picture of the uh, ultimately of the end times tribulation that will come and God will come in his might for his own faithful followers. Folks, that includes us. There will be reward. But for those who have rebelled against him, eternal, terrible recompense. He'll reward his followers and he will subdue all opponents. So we even now proclaim to the world, behold your God and submit to your all-powerful ruler. He will come. In one way, either as one of his followers or one of his enemies, you will submit and you will bow the knee. Better to be a follower who is rewarded in the end. God is powerful to subdue all. But then look how he ends this wonderful third proclamation. As much as much hope as it brings us to know that God is all-powerful and that He rules, there's a certain sense of awe and fear that is appropriate. But God doesn't end it there. Here is this wonderful picture, verse 11, the one that we, we truly find comfort in as well. God comforts His people. If He's powerful enough to subdue the world, He's also powerful enough to lead His people and protect His people in the midst of what they face. And he comforts his people as the gentle shepherd. Verse 11. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Oh, his enemies will tremble at his presence as their judge. But his people will enjoy his tender care as their shepherd. And we don't have to wait till the end, folks, to experience that. Because the care and protection of our gentle shepherd is with us, is for us today. He will tend. That has the idea of being a proper and a right, a good manager and protector of his flock. He will gather the lambs in his arms, the helpless that can't make it on their own. And yes, that includes all of us at some point. If we get rid of our self-reliance, we realize we're all helpless. And we find here that he will gather us up gently and he will hold us close. I remember uh, one time when uh, Arden was little, we just recently moved into the house in, in Maryland and uh, Leslie was at a ladies event. And so it was just Arden and I and Arden had a lot of energy as a small toddler even as soon as he um, started walking, it was more like running. <laughs> and you could hear him. As I was, I was doing something in the bathroom, getting something ready, and I could hear him, zoom, zoom, you know, running around. And, you know, I thought, oh, I hope he doesn't. And all of a sudden, it was total quiet, <sighs> nothing. And that's when I knew that's not normal. <laughs> and I went to the hallway, and here he is. He's barely, not he, his birthday, I think, was the next day, actually. He was going to turn two. And he's laid back on his back, and he has this kind of questioning, wondering look, like, what just happened? And I'm looking, I'm like, I don't know what just happened. And he had this gash right here. Um, and I, I saw it. He, he didn't even notice it. He wasn't 
um, he wasn't aware he was still surprised and I'm looking around trying to figure out how did that happen and the only thing I could figure out was that he was running so fast he tripped and there was an edge on the wall there and anyway I realized it was deep enough I had to go get Leslie and so um, she we went over to the building because we were at the parsonage on the property we went over to the building drove over there and I went down the hallway and I could hear where they were and I kind of leaned in the doorway to get her attention I'm like I need John here and so she came out and she took a look at him and so we're like yeah we better take him to the to the ER or, or to the um, one of the local medic places that uh, that you can go to and get quick quick attention so they took him back and they said yeah they're, he's gonna need a few just a couple stitches it's not that bad they looked at it and said he's gonna need that but it's gonna be so small that he, we're not even gonna anesthetize him we're not gonna give him we're just gonna they're like really they said oh it's only gonna be just a couple and you know trying to explain this to, to someone who's not even two yet we just wanted to, and they said, hold him tight. So we held him tight. <laughs> and he was wondering, wondering, and then, oh, all of a sudden, he knew what was going on. And he was careful. I mean, he did the best that he could. And we put a bandage on that. And for his birthday the next day, you know, he still enjoyed it. Had a good time. Big bandage. Is it okay that I tell that story? <laughs> that I did. <laughs> yeah. But the point was, we wanted, we felt badly for him. We wanted to comfort him. We wanted to hold him close. I know Phil and Leanna can understand that too, as well with boys. Parents can't do that perfectly, but our gentle shepherd can. He can hold us close and comfort us in a way no one else can. And it says he'll gently lead those that are with young. He'll gently lead and guide and correct why do we so many times mistrust our gentle shepherd it's because of our sinful tendencies our sin tells us that we can't trust a loving shepherd and we need constant reminders our sin nature our, our struggle with our sin convinces us many times we can't trust him we need reminders like Isaiah 40 to remind us, yes, we can trust Him. In the midst of terrible trials and discouraging events, God is fully capable, we've seen, of providing comfort for His people. In fact, folks, isn't His tender care the anecdote to our despair and miserable circumstances of life? That's the anecdote. A relationship with Christ, obviously. So here's the question. Are you weary are you despondent? Are you discouraged today? Throw yourself on your Heavenly Father. Let Him lift you up and give you strength to continue on the next hour, the next day, the rest of your life. One more quote from my author here, Paul Tripp. The beauty of grace is that it meets you where you are, forgives you for your sin, and never ever wears out. We need that message today. Father, thank you for the beauty of the comfort of your word. What a marvelous passage that even when we go through discouragement and difficult times and even your correction, Lord, that you are there gently to lead us afterwards and to love us and to hold us close. We all need that, whether we realize it or not. Help us to shed the ineffectiveness of self-confidence 
and self-reliance and fully rely on you to guide us as our shepherd and experience the true comfort that only you can give when things are hard. Help us to fully rely on you. And for that, we need Christ's help, and we pray for that. In Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.